So last week we explored um, the Apostle Paul's experience in 2 Corinthians. And we talked about this. Specifically, we explored the concept of weakness. And today we're going to examine what is clearly one of the most unique, and I will say, I don't have to say controversial, but it's highly discussed by theologians, Bible teachers, historians. They've always wondered what was Paul getting at when he talked about what is known as, and what he called, the thorn in the flesh. What was the thorn in the flesh? We're going to talk about this. We're going to examine it. We're going to look at it. Hopefully, we're going to learn some things, think and pray and understand. I will say this, the background to this, and I know a lot of you have heard me allude to this in the past weeks. Um, it might be the last time I do it for a while. But this series really did was birthed out of, um, out of something that I experienced about two years ago now, it's hard to believe, when I went on a medical sabbatical. And I remember how difficult that time was for me. And again, we've talked about this a little bit, but I don't want to assume that everybody heard, has heard that, this part of it. But it was a very, very difficult period for me. Uh, I was hurting, I was hurting, hurting in body, hurting in spirit, hurting in mind. I felt, if I can use the, 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 the visuals, I felt lost at sea. Maybe some of us can relate to this. I felt lost at sea, like floating on a piece of wood with seaweed on my head, right? And, and no land in sight. Just really, uh, in some ways, I didn't necessarily say that, would say that I felt unloved because I had a tremendous amount of love sent my way. My wife was amazing, uh, family, the church family, exceptional, beautiful, loving, kind, supportive in every way. Um, the board sending me away off to, to heal up. I will say this, there were still times though, and I know a lot of us can relate, where I felt very alone. Even though I had people there with me, praying for me, I still, there were certain things that were very internal. There were certain things that were very personal. There were certain things that were very unique to me. Just like there will be things when you walk through certain situations in your life that others can be aware of it, but they may not be aware of how alone you may actually feel. That there may be times where even though you know you have support, there is a part of the struggle that you're walking through that you feel like, you know, I know God's there, but I feel so in some ways alone at a human level. And I remember writing some things down. And this part, I'm going to ask you to indulge me. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read the piece that I wrote as a lead into our study. This is about my experience. We're going to look at Paul's in a moment. But I said during that time, which was very difficult, I said loss was my theme. Loss of people, loss of voice, loss of control, unsure of my future, for I had never not led. Now, I had been leading this church at the age of 25. Incredibly, it was the only full-time job I had ever known, right? My life was a life of rhythms and responsibilities, well-worn grooves and ways of being. Rhythms and responsibilities that I was being told I needed to let go of and release to others. I felt guilty. I felt bad. But most of all, I felt sad. You would think that a six-month sabbatical would be welcomed, um, but it felt more like a loss to me. That's, that's the truth of it. Um, I was thinking about it as I was reflecting on it, 
And I mean, a lot of it had to do with the fact that I saw it more like a punishment almost. Like, like, like it's one thing to re request a sabbatical, uh, uh, you know, as, as, a, as a kind of reward for longevity. It's another thing to be told, you know, we think you need to go on one, right? That's a very different thing. Plus, my nerves, my nerves were frayed in ways I had never before experienced. Um, I knew I needed to go, that I needed to rest the land, so to speak. I needed to heal. But honestly, I felt, for me, like it felt like I was descending into no man's land. I felt spiritually depleted, almost tormented. At my lowest, at my lowest places, I couldn't talk, which for me, that's like huge, all right? My tongue was numb. I couldn't sleep. I had to take medication. My hands got shaky. My fears grew, and I started to embrace my anxiety, which only made things worse. My mind was starting to affect my already depleted body, I was disintegrating. What's more, and this is not going to make sense to everyone, but I, to those who can hear it, hear it. What's more, I felt the power of the evil one around me. This was no game. At a spiritual level, it was deadly serious, and I was losing, or so it seemed. But in my suffering, my sorrow, my self-pity, my despair, for that is how I would describe it, I also felt, listen, the sweetness the subtle sweetness of brokenness and the scent of grace, God's grace, subtle, real, unshakable. The shepherd was with me. I couldn't quite see him, but in my questioning shadow land, he loomed my forever friend, my unseen guide, the one who loves me by my side. I journaled, I prayed. I sang, I cried, I wondered why. I wrestled with God until a part of me died. And slowly, very slowly, I began to regain my strength. Adversity can shape us. It can open us up. It can force us into grace. Okay? So when I read what we're about to look at, when I read it, when I hear the great apostles share about his thorn in the flesh, about God's grace, it speaks to me differently. Or at least I hear it in a different way than I used to. Perhaps some of us are going to relate to having an aspect of our life not, not what we want it to be. In some cases, that part of our life is a struggle we despise. In other cases, it's a trauma that we've learned to survive. But through it all, I'm convinced, I truly am, I'm convinced that God's best for us is to do more than survive, more than glide, but to excel, to prevail past the gates of hell, even with a thorn in our side. So that's what I want to talk about. 2 Corinthians, let's look at it together. 2 Corinthians 12 in our handout. And we got to reset the context here. Again, not wanting to assume anyone is familiar with this, nor was here last week, although if we were, it will help a lot. But we talked about how in chapter, the chapters leading up to chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, and we're going to look at the end of 11 as well, how in the chapters 10 and 11, Paul was having to defend himself to the Corinthian church. Now, this was a church that he had planted. So he, and, and they were now questioning his authority. There were critics that were coming up. He called them these super apostles who were saying that Paul was weak. They were questioning his authority. And I mean, and they were really questioning it. They were minimizing him. And they were attacking him. And they were saying that he really wasn't much of, he was more of a lightweight with God. And, and even though he had been used, I mean, it was right. Paul, it was bothering. First off, it bothered Paul that he even had to defend himself. Right? It's like, I shouldn't have to do this. I planted it. I, I am, in a way, I am your father in the faith. I shouldn't even, I shouldn't even have to explain myself nor talk about why I, you should be listening to me. It bothered him. 
but he felt like he had to do it, and that bothered him as well, right? And, and so, again, you can look at the, the piece here, what he does. So what he does is he, at the end of chapter 11, we call chapter 11, he lists out the things that he suffered for Christ. And I want to, he almost wears them like wounds. Um, he wears these wounds like, like metal, like a medals of honor. Like, like, I've been through these battles. Look what he says. This is in 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 28. You follow along in your Bible, or your Bible app, but it's in the handout right there. You can look at it with me. He says, so again, these critics. He goes, are they Hebrews? And he's, they're, they're laying out credentials. Well, so am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. And, I love, and I'm using the older version because I think it adds a poetic component to it. Are they the seed of Abraham? Well, so am I. Are they ministers of Christ? You know what? I don't even want to talk about I speak as a fool. I am even more. The reason I'm saying that is because in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, that I, in prisons I've been in more frequently, in deaths, I mean, I've died, almost died a number of times. From the Jews, my own people, five times I've received 40 stripes, minus, one, minus 139, the highest that you can give under the law. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, left for dead with a pile of rocks on top of me. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I've been in the deep. In, look, he says, in journeys often, Right? In perils, in danger, perils of waters, in perils, in dangers of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness, often in hunger and thirst, deprived of my food, in fastings, often in cold and in nakedness. And then on top of all these physical things, besides these other things that come upon me daily, the weight that I bear with the churches that I'm responsible for, my daily concern, my deep concern for all the churches. He goes, do I have to even, do I have to defend myself? And then he shifts one more, like he turns it up one more notch. And he says this, and this marks the beginning of chapter 12. Again, you can see this piece there in the hand as well. He then says, you know what, I need to say one more thing to you. And he goes, look, this boasting, which he basically says, my honest defense here, and watch how he's wrestling with himself. Like, should I do this? Should I not do this? I really don't want to do this. I know I, can't, I have to, but I'm mad that you're making me do it. Okay, watch what he says. This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. Look at this. I will reluctantly tell you about visions and revelations from the Lord. You know, I was caught up to the third heaven. It was about 14 years ago. He starts telling about this experience he has with God. Nothing like it in the scripture by the way. He says, whether I was in my body or out of my body, you know, I don't know. Only God knows. Yes, yes. It's almost like he's reflecting back. Yeah, only God, God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body. I can't tell for sure. But what I do know is that I was caught up to paradise. And you know what? I heard things so astounding that they can't even be expressed in words. Things that no human is allowed to tell. What is that? And that experience, he goes, if I wanted to be honest, he goes, that experience is worth it. You want to know about, my, you want to know about something I've, I've experienced? He goes, that's worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only, I'm all, I will boast only about my weaknesses. If I wanted to boast, look, I, I would be no fool in doing so because honestly, it's not boasting if it's the truth. And I would be telling you the truth, but I'm not going to do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life and, in my, and hear in my message. He's like this boxer, you know, jabbing and bobbing and weaving. He's, I'm going to boast. I'm not going to boast. I, I, I want to tell you what happened. I really don't want to tell you. I'm only going to tell you a part of it. I'm going to allude to it, but I'm not going to tell you the details. Right? He's just going back and forth. But then he says something else. Watch when he, now he introduces something. He says, you know, in light of some of the things I've experienced with God, I could tell you, and I know, 
I know they would overwhelm you and they would impress you. I'm not going to share it, but what I am going to tell you is this. And lest I should be given, should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, these things that God has shown me, a thorn in the flesh was given to me. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. That is, I was sent something to keep me harnessed in place to prevent pride from getting the best of me. And remember, that had been his pre-Christ MO. And you could still say it might have been his greatest vulnerability, spiritual pride. He had been proud of his pedigree, proud of his knowledge, proud of his total devotion, proud of his meticulous keeping of the law of his fathers, the law of the scriptures. He was proud, 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 Oh, brilliant, proud, proud, proud. On the rise, proud, proud. He was a proud man. And he was intellectually potent, powerful. And he says, so God, to keep me from my weakness, my pride, God has given me a thorn, a thorn in the flesh. He says, and it's a thorn in the flesh. And, and, and on top, it's, it's like a messenger of Satan to buffet and harass me. Now, what was it? He, by the way, people have wondered for generations, what was it? He won't name it. He just talks about it. Many have speculated, and they made the cases down the centuries. Oh, it was his eyesight. He couldn't see well. Others have said, no, it, 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 was, it was kind of a, a slight deformity that he had. Others said that it was the residue of a disease that he had picked up on one of his missionary journeys that plagued him. Others said, no, it's, 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 it's something more mental. It has to do with his past memories. Um, of what he had done to the believers in Jerusalem when he had persecuted and imprisoned them, split up families, that he had blood on his hands, and he had to interact with these people, and he felt the load of that, that weight, that guilt, things that he couldn't do, he wanted to undo. Now, so here's the point, is that, I will say this, it appears that the thorn in the flesh was physical in some way, mental physical, because he says, my flesh. Now, what he means by that, he's talking about his body. So whatever it is, it showed up in a physical, mental, emotional way, but most likely physical. That's pretty clear. But when you look, so it's, in one sense, it's his body, but then, but he, and we're told something else too, that he prayed, we're told, he prayed, Now Paul says, I prayed ferociously. I can remember, he says, three distinct times where I poured my soul out to God to have this thing taken away from me. He who had prayed for others' healings, and had seen things happen, prayed for his own healing, and nothing happened. In fact, he was told no. And he talks about this. Look what he, look what he says here in verse 8. He says, concerning this thing, look at it. I pleaded, I pleaded with the Lord. Intense, lengthy times of prayer. I asked him that it might depart from me. And you know what he said to me? He said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. No, Paul, my grace is enough. It's all you need. For in your weakness, my strength is made perfect. Or as the, the slightly more, slightly different version, the NLT puts it this way. I love the way it does it. It says three different times. Look, look what it says. It says three different times. 
I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, look how it's rendered. My grace is all you need. But look at that last phrase. Look how it's captured. I loved it. When I first read it, I saw it. I go, oh, I get it. My power works best in weakness. My power works best in weakness. Wow. Like, take off our shoes. We're on holy ground. My power works best in weakness. Ah, what is that? You want to know what my power is most, most on display? It's when you're at your weakest. My power works, Paul. No. No, I tell you, I will not take it from you. My power in your life works best in your weakness. Paul says, look at what he ends up saying. Look at the, how he finishes that ninth verse. Therefore, in light of that, I will tell you I've shifted my paradigm dramatically. I then, look, most gladly, what? Yes, I, I, will, I will rather boast in my infirmities, my limitations, my weakness, this thing that even plagues me, that the power of Christ may rest upon me in greater measure, really. He goes, therefore, I take, then he goes, I, I, I've shifted this thing. I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches. Yeah, even in needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. Because you know why? Because when I am weak, he's going, I get it. I get something here. I don't like it, what I have. I want it out of my life, but I understand this, that when I am weak and I'm turned towards him, I am strong. Whoa. So he says, I'm at peace in my weaknesses now, for when I am weak, I am strong. So here's how I'd like us to sit with it. Here's how it hit me. As I was looking at what Paul was walking through, thinking about his struggle, one of the things that became apparent to me and evident is something I think could help us. Very simple principles, but I think they can help us especially when we're walking through things ourselves. One of the things that's pretty clear here, there are times where God wants us to accept the adversity, but, listen, reject the anxiety. There are times we need to accept the adversity, but reject the anxiety. I'm going to shift this back over to something Peter wrote. Peter said in 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Look at this so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Now look at the phrase, casting all your anxieties. What? Casting all your anxieties on him. Because why? He cares for you. Now, casting all your anxieties on him. <clears throat> the older version says, cast your care on him, for he cares for you. You know, looking back, if I can for a moment, looking back at my rough patch, that dark night of the soul, I'm just going to be brutally honest. I think I did the exact opposite. I think I clung to my anxiety and fought with everything I could to control the adversity. So his word says, cast your anxieties on him. And, and I was going, you know what, I think, I think I was like holding on to my anxieties tight and trying to control the adversity that was causing them rather than learning how to yield that to the Lord. It's not like saying, oh, now I'm defined by this. No, or I just accept that I'm, now I'm, I'm dead and good for nothing. Or I quit, I give up, I'm done. No, that doesn't mean you won't feel that way at times. You may. But when you live with Christ near you in your life, you realize that he calls us to not the place of being defined in defeat, but he's also calling us not to clutch our anxieties and to try to control the adversity. Like the harder we do it, the, okay, it's like the more, the harder I do this, 
that if I could just push even harder, it'll solve it. No, it won't. It won't. Casting my anxiety on the Lord, it means surrendering. There's a yielding component to this. I remember coming across a, a quote that, I, that meant something to me because of what I was walking through. I was thinking about what does it mean to yield to the faithfulness of God? And I remember hearing this thing from, a, a, reading this thing from a guy named Jean-Nicolas Grew, and he said this, and it wasn't directly connected, but it got my attention. He said this, the chief pang of most trials is not so much the actual suffering, but our resistance to it. Now let that sit for a moment and settle. Like a lot of times what we're walking through, it may be bad, but what is really getting it into the dangerous zones, what's really, really the real problem, is what I've said I, I, I've, I've known what it's like. The real problem is not actually what is even happening. It's what's happening in us because of how we're responding to it. Does that make sense? So in other words, we become, we, by clutching it and trying to solve it and control it, like that is not the way to get through something that is a, a defeated place in our lives. When we, that, that's like, the op, I'm hoping I can capture, that becomes a sort of an opposite thing. It's like counterintuitive. At a spiritual level, it's almost a paradox. Just like strength and weakness is a paradox. It's like, uh, no, actually by letting go, that my main problem right now is actually not what's happening, it's how I'm responding and reacting to what is happening. That is becoming the problem. Now, I remember when I was in seminary, uh, I, I went to seminary a couple times. Once early on, I was working on, on, a, on a master's degree. Later on, in the, in the years past, about a number of years ago, maybe a decade ago, I was working on a doctorate. And I was, remember being in seminary. Now, I had, a, I had a really good professor uh, who, at the time, I don't think I appreciated enough. He, as I thought, you know, I wish you would talk more about the Bible. And I'm a Bible guy, right? I mean, I, let me just be, this is a, my life is, I build my, I want to live my life on the basis of the scriptures. I believe the teachings of Jesus. He that hears and say, does these sayings of mine, I will like this person to a wise man or a wise woman who builds their house on a rock. And the storms will come, the way the, that house will stand. So, principally speaking, I want to live out of the scriptures, not out of the culture. Well, the scriptures, so that so the scriptures inform how I think about success. The scripture, the, the teachings of the Lord inform my understanding of what love is. Teaching the scriptures inform my understanding of morality and sexual identity and all these things that are hot button issues in our culture. I live by his words. Now, my professor, at least I seek to. My professor, he said this thing, and I was going, ah, that's like it doesn't mean anything. Dr. Pinkham, well, that's a mumbo-jumbo stuff, right? He said, hey, Terry, what you, what you won't let be won't let you be. And I said, what is that, right? I said, what is that? What you won't let be won't let you be. <laughs> I went to seminary to learn that, right? I said, no, come on, doctor. He says, you think about it. He said, now the Bible says, as a person thinks, so they are. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 and 8, you can read it. It, it talks about the power of prayer and alignment and thinking in the way we think, how it affects us. It not just affects our mind, it affects our body, I believe. It certainly affects at spiritual levels. The idea is to position ourselves in such a way where we're aligning up with the thought, our thoughts with the Lord and not becoming our own enemy. 
we, sometimes if we're accustomed to fighting our way through stuff, we actually will end up hindering ourselves. Because the way of success in, in the Lord often has to do with not fighting harder, but surrendering better. Secondly, just a note, working off of what Paul taught us, is beware. Now, okay, this one, for some of us, is gonna, we're going to go, this makes no sense to me at all. Some of us is going to say, like, if we have not followed the Lord in any amount of time, and I realize some of us are in process, some of us are just beginning to follow Jesus, some of us just opened up our lives to him, some of us have no background whatsoever in the scriptures, but one of the things that Paul alludes to here is the reality of evil and the evil one. And so one of the things I want to point out is when we're under times of deep pressure at a spiritual level, an emotional level, beware of, here it is, beware of the whispers of the evil one. Beware of the whispers of the evil one. What are you talking about? There are times where you will start to hear things in your mind if you're sincerely following the Lord in difficult places. It's like God's not real. God's not for you. Um, you will pound, voices will pound us in our despair, in our discouragement, pounce on us in our weaknesses, push us into negative thinking, negative faith, speaking negative, stay in that gloom, let it define you. In Paul's case, listen, you see it, he was aware that the enemy was present in his affliction. He, he refers, look, he refers to his thorn being literally connected. He says, uh, you can't miss it, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet and harass me. But he also saw simultaneously, and this is fascinating, he also said, but it was God who's also in this. He says, this entire thing that I'm experiencing was also given to me by God, lest I be exalted above measure. A thorn was given to me. But then he says, but it's also a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. Now, what is it? It's like, for one thing, look, it's all, watch what's going on. It's not like one thing. It's his body and his mind. The Lord is in it, working on his pride. The evil one is present, trying to hurt and damage him. He says all of these things are working in some way in this experience that I'm walking in. This thorn in the flesh, God's in it. He's using it. The evil one's there, no question, really trying to damage me. My own body is experiencing it. I might even be at war in my own mind on this issue that is playing itself out in how I feel. And each of those things are connected. In other words, some things are easier. We must always use humility to decipher. I'm going through this because I made these choices. I live in a broken world. Bad things happen. A sin-impacted world, this is what things don't go always right. Other people made this decision is having an impact on me. I clearly feel at some level, and this will make sense to some people, I'm under spiritual attack and I feel warfare around this in my life. Or I sense God is trying to discipline me, correct me, get my attention. But in Paul's case, he's saying all of these things are interacting simultaneously. And he can't, he's not going to say, oh, this is this. this is, he's just going, it's all in there. I'm clearly being, I'm, I'm clearly under some degree of oppression on this. There's clearly stuff happening to me. I feel it. I know it's going on. I want him to get it out of my life. But God clearly is using it in some way for my good. So how do I walk through that? And here's the point, and we'll leave it with this. There are going to be times when Satan, what he's basically saying is, look, what Satan has used to harass me, God is using to harness me. What? I'm afflicted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm unhealed, true, but I'm not unloved. 
Here's the thing. We'll leave it with this. God can and will use our thorns for good to bind us to him. In Paul's case, he said his thorn was a counterweight to his pride. For some of us, it may be a, a way that God keeps us from drifting from him. It's almost like there are certain things in our life that tether us. We might call them, I'm tethered by my weakness to him. For others, it might be that this area of struggle in our lives that we seem to get so frustrated with, it, it softens our heart to the struggles of others and creates empathy at a level that maybe in compassion or a kindness or a reduced arrogance or at least less likelihood of us being judgmental um, because we ourselves know what struggle is like. And it doesn't mean we're excusing things. It just means we have tremendous sympathy and understanding and share that understanding of what a wound is, what a wound is for someone here. We've, you've heard me saying this a lot. My wound may be very different than your wound, but the fact is if, if we may be struggling in different areas, and maybe my area would be nothing for you, and, my, and your area would be nothing for me, but when we're serious about following the Lord and getting better and growing and moving forward, there are areas of our lives that become places of vulnerability and weakness and struggle. And you know what? I have sympathy for that because I have my own areas, right? And we need grace. We need God's power and provision at work in our lives. For others, it might be like Paul. God really wants to balance out what has been his strengths with enough of a sense of his weakness that he doesn't become the independent man who doesn't need God, who sees his identity in his accomplishments and in his raw intelligence and his capacities. And God's saying, no, you have a weak zone, and I'm not taking it from you. It's meant to drive you to me in humility and it will bind you to me. I remember reading in Psalm 23 and teaching a series on it a while back. And one of the things I remember reading about was a shepherd was talking about how the sheep, you know, because Jesus would often refer to us as sheep. It's like, why, you know, and in the shepherd's Psalm, Psalm 23, where, you know, it's about sheep and, and, and you know, I was thinking, well, man, well, you know, Lord, you, couldn't you have picked a, a better animal to like use as an analogy? Because the sheep, they kind of like, they, they just kind of, you know, they have no real defense system. Right? They, it's, like, it's not like they have any teeth that are dang, you know, no teeth, no claws. You know, they don't have a shell that they get into. They're not fast. They get run down by predators. In fact, they have, they have like hair, that, that, whatever they call it. I don't know what a sheep is. Wool. Uh, they wander off so easily and they get stuck in like thorn bushes and stuff. They can't get out. They're so vulnerable. The reason the Lord uses the analogy is because we're so vulnerable. He says that we can wander off so easy. We don't realize that a lot of times with that vulnerability, I was reading about one shepherd was talking about how he knows his sheep by name. He knows their names. Like, I'm going, he's named them. Like we would name a, a pet, an animal. They know the I go, they all look like the same to me, but no, they know the difference. And the sheep know the shepherd's voice. And another they will not follow, but they do wander. And they get themselves into trouble. And they have natural predators that will kill them. And some sheep are very stubborn. And I was reading about one shepherd. He was talking about how in love to save his sheep, he broke the leg. So he couldn't wander off the way he used to. And he's carrying him. Oh, what a picture. Prone to wander. That psalm that we used as the intro to the message that we shared, 
in that third verse from the Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Look what it says. Oh, oh to grace, how great a debtor I am constrained to be. And so remember, these words, by the way, written in 1757 by a guy named Robert Robertson. It's fascinating. Times have changed. Technology has changed. History has changed. Nations have risen and fallen. But the human heart is almost essentially the same. Oh, to grace how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that grace now like a fetter, that is, bind me like we were chained together. Ban my wandering heart to you, to thee, prone to wander. Lord, I feel it, prone to lead the God I love. I am. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it. Seal it, in, seal it for thy courts above. In order to, I want to live my life for you. There's so much pressure to, to pull us away from him. It's not even intentional. The culture right now just disregards the Lord. It would, we, some places you can't even talk about Jesus in real ways. Um, it's not, I'm not mad. I'm, not, I'm just saying it's the way it is. Other place, our entertainment that we see in, on a regular basis, there's no one really representing healthy life of following Jesus. Many of our conversations socially, you almost have to be very careful. What I'm saying is externally, there's a lot of things that would disconnect us from staying in love with the Lord. One of the real values in coming to his house and having groups of people that we're connecting with is that it reaffirms and strengthens our faith in the Lord. Our heart stays close to him. But we can wander off. We can wander off sometimes in our own choices, just in our own heart as we lose our first love. We can actually wander off while we're doing the right things and and we begin to lose our heart for God. And here's here's what I'm trying to get at, is the Lord often will use the bad things that he did not actually create some cases, though, he will actually use that adversity as a mechanism for keeping our heart soft and open and broken and dependent and leaning towards him. It becomes our gift. It becomes our gift because it keeps our hearts from drifting. It's the broken leg. In your handout, the prayer, Lord, just for the series, we were writing a prayer for the week. We called it the daily prayer. We wrote it for every message. This is the last one I wrote. But I want to pray it together. We'll have our time of giving the closing song, which connects right on. But here it is. Let's t- together we pray this. Lord of my greatest need and Lord of my greatest fear. Now listen, he knows what they are. We have some right now. Lord of my, by saying Lord, to me, it's like I'm saying, God, I place you above these things. Lord of my greatest need, Lord of my greatest fear, bind me to you. That which I would run from, look at this, the thorn that afflicts me, hurts me, my wound, let it succumb to your grace. Remind me that what the evil one would use to harass, you would, you would use to harness. May the thorn in my side keep me by your side. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. May it bind me to you, the one who loves me most. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.